Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Owen O'Sullivan and today's guest on the show is Ian Mullaney. He's an author who's just released his debut collection of essays called Minor Monuments. It's out on Tram Press, which is also responsible for the likes of Emily Pine and her essay collection Notes to Self, which came out last year. And they've also published Sarah Baum's books. I'm a really big fan of hers as well. She's appeared on this podcast. And if you haven't read her books, definitely check them out. But check out all of Tram Press's books that they've released over the years. They include Solar Bones, which myself and Ian talk a little bit about. We were wondering about his place on the Tram Press roster. And he kind of says that it's not a million miles away from Solar Bones. Uh, A link that I hadn't thought of, but made immediate sense almost as soon as he says it. Just so you know about Minor Monuments, he says... I began to think about minor monuments when my grandfather was dying. I wrote it after he died. When he passed, I realized that something which had been permanent in my life to that point was gone, and that something quite important to me had come to an end. I wrote to figure out how I felt about home, about family, and about myself. I wrote so I could better understand the illness my grandfather lived with, and so I could describe the experiences of my family in a way that made sense to me. Uh, His grandfather has Alzheimer's? or had Alzheimer's disease, and so the book kind of very intimately, very delicately kind of paints the picture of the way that that disease takes hold on a person, and the effects that it has, not just on that person, but everyone around them. Ian adds that uh, the essays in this book are records, partial and unreliable, of what I saw and thought about during the last five years of my grandfather's life, the many discursive, contradictory, confused thoughts that appear in one's mind during troubled periods, the observations of a person who does not always know where he stands. They were not written to engage with the wider world in any meaningful way. They are not timely in that sense. But I hope that others who have witnessed similar circumstances will recognise something of their experiences in them all the same. So that's what Ian says about the book. It's called Minor Monuments and it's out on Trump Press. I don't think that you need to have read the book to enjoy the conversation that's about to follow. But maybe it would help. Maybe it would uh, enlighten it somewhat. But hopefully you'll enjoy it all the same. So this is, I think it's the third in what I was hoping would be a monthly series of uh, podcast interviews with authors, but I missed March. March kind of got away from me a little bit, so I'll make that up over the course of the year. Damn it, we're going to have at least 12 come December, guys. I'm I'm putting that on the record now. So this is Ian Mullaney talking uh, with myself about Minor Monuments, which is out now on Trump Press. Congratulations on Minor Monuments. We're talking a couple of days before it comes out. How are you feeling about it kind of being out in the world and kind of uh, finding its own readers? Uh, Very excited. Um, I guess I've been sitting with it for for quite a long time and I've read it more times than I wish to. Um, So... I'm quite happy to have other people read it and tell me what they think because I've I spent so long thinking about what I think about it that it's nice just to have a different difference of opinion uh, in some way about it at this stage. How long have you been sitting on it? Because I remember reading the first essay in Winter Papers a couple of years ago, and that was kind of the first inkling that I got that, oh, he's kind of veering into writing because I knew you kind of like in your previous guys playing in bands and stuff like that. And this was the first inkling that I had that, oh, he's trying something different. I guess the Winter Papers essay, the essay that's in Winter Papers, that was probably the first piece of the book that was finished, that felt finished and felt like it had what I thought the rest of the book would need to have to work. But I suppose by the t- by the time I wrote that, I had been working on things for, I guess, the guts of a year or more. 
not getting very far all the time writing a lot like that when the winter papers essay originally i just wrote a very very long and rambly essay about pat collins's film silence and then i kept maybe a few hundred words out of that for the the final piece but it you know there were so many instances of that where something would have to be written for a very long time and then or for a very long word count just rambly and trying to figure things out and then gradually over the course of months or in some cases years it got cut down and turned into something that was actually readable so yeah I guess the whole process of the book probably from start to finish in terms of when I was actually thinking about it as a book uh, was probably about two years most of the uh, noteworthy writing as such happened in the final year that definitely most of the first year just got discarded. And when did you come to think of it as a book as something that you know you wanted to expand on I mean when you were writing uh, that first essay were you thinking of it as a standalone piece or the first of many I started thinking about this as a book particularly after my granddad died which was say March 2016 yeah and the months after that I decided that I had enough to talk about that I had enough of a story that it would be too much for a single essay too much for one or two things it had to there was room in it for me to actually expand that and and take it into something book length. So, I mean, it does kind of read as something a little bit different to other things, particularly that, say, Tramp Press have put out. Um, I mean, in, in that first essay, you know, you introduce like the idea, you know, straight away, I think you're talking about the bog and stuff and you're just like this, you know, it, it just seems like something a little bit different. I mean, we're were you confident enough with what you were talking about uh, to continue with it? Or did you have to be encouraged? Like, were there people saying like, what are you doing talking about the bog and peat cutting and Alzheimer's? They're not like cool topics to talk about. Uh, I guess the only person saying that was me. It's not the kind of subject matter that is necessarily current or relatable, I think, for a lot of for a lot of younger people. At the same time, it's all I really had to work with. So it was important to me, so it was just a case of trying to figure out why it was important to me. Uh, and if I could do that, then you don't really need any other justification for writing about it. Definitely people were encouraging. Kevin Barry and Olivia Smith, who um, edit Winter Papers, like they were very encouraging, uh, very helpful. Uh, and, you know, having people like that tell you that what you're doing is, is good and, and worth reading is, yeah, very, very encouraging and very gives you at least some confidence that what you're doing is not completely crazy and idiosyncratic. I agree it probably is a little bit different from most of the stuff that that Trump have published, but I wouldn't see it as being a million miles away, certainly in its concerns from something like Solar Bones. It's written in a different way, but I don't think the communities that are in it are very different. I don't think the kinds of people who are in it are very different. Yes, I think I think that's probably the closest link to anything else that Trump have published. Solo Bones is probably like a good touch point for minor monuments. Like, was that something that you had in mind while you were writing about it? Like this idea of, you know, the rural place Offaly and the Midlands. It kind of feels like it's kind of a neglected area, both kind of in terms of art and tourism, say. Like, is that something that you wanted to kind of overcome or tackle in the piece and show that, like, you know, it's it's worth writing about, reading about? Yeah, to a certain extent. Um, I don't want to be doing... Fulcher Ireland's work for them but at the same time definitely I mean I guess I've always had the experience of but someone will ask me where I'm from uh, and I'll say awfully and they'll say oh I've never been there that is the only response you ever get 
uh, or I've seen it like while I'm passing on the train or that that's all you get. If you're not from there, like you don't really have any reason to go there, particularly where I grew up. It's, it, it's not, it wouldn't be scenic in any real way. Uh, it's not like the West of Ireland where you have this sort of like completely overloaded tourist industry keeping the whole place afloat. It doesn't have the Irish language as a sort of sort of source of authentic Irishness at all. Yeah, none of the none of the things that people associate with like Ireland outside the pale really are important in the Midlands. Like they don't that's not how the place sees itself or how it functions. So uh trying to get into that a little bit, just trying to figure out where I'm from. Like where what the actual history of that place is what stories are there because they're not stories that you hear regularly like they're not the classic stories of irish nationhood or or culture or society so yeah you have to do a bit more digging to try and find them and try and get past some of the sort of cliches that do exist about bogs and farmers and all the rest of it but so that these things these things are cliches for a reason they're not all good by any means but like just trying to find something new to say about them, some new way of of looking at them that sort of accurately reflects the way that I look at things, which I felt wasn't necessarily very visible or, or well captured in any literature really that I know or any films even that I know. Like I I really look forward to the day when we have a film about the Irish Midlands where it isn't full of depressed alcoholics and, you know, perverts. That's basically the only, you know representation we have of, of that you know giant blankness in the middle of the country that no one cares about so you are also talking about you know it feels like almost every little town or village in the country that's outside urban centers like there was one line that i um picked out i'll just read it out here for people uh the restrictions can be suffocating the air of normality noxious i wanted to live with the comforts of tradition and familiarity but with none of the narrowness none of the stricture and fear Uh, I want that to be possible, but I don't know how it could be. Exasperated and accusatory, I'm left to ask myself an unanswerable question. How could anything improve if those who want change are the first to leave? I mean, it's quite a loaded question. And as you say, it's quite unanswerable. But have you come any closer to kind of uh, figuring out something about that idea of like, how can you change things if the people who want change are the first to leave? uh straight answer is no um i don't know i feel i feel like it's a pretty intractable problem right now certainly some of the politics that are growing in rural ireland at the minute are extremely worrying and the reasons for them are not in any way straightforward and they're you know the material conditions the economic conditions the political conditions are very off-putting for people who might find dublin or indeed any other major city in Ireland at this point, just kind of sucking them dry a little bit. Like it's too expensive. It's very hard to live. You've no quality of life. So it's very difficult at the minute. People want to leave, I think. You know, I'm endlessly having conversations with people who live in Dublin, who live in Cork or Galway, who want to leave these places. But, you know, there are no jobs. There are no, there's no broadband um, for large parts of it. There's no phone signal where I grew up it's very difficult even if you can get past some of the sort of social narrowness of it the the way that things stick around and people's people police each other's behavior quite a lot very visibly and and 
palpably. If you can get past that and you can live with that, there's still all these other sort of underlying yeah, material and economic conditions that make it really difficult to live in these places. So, I mean, I'm speaking as someone who does want to probably sees myself as living in the country long term. Yeah, it's hard to know how to how to square that circle of how do you make that place more attractive for people? How do you make it more open to different kinds of people? Because in a lot of places, the structures of, of people's lives are, are very much defined by you know, traditional institutions like schools and churches and GAA and, and, and all these kinds of things, which are kind of conservative, but might be all they have left. So for people who aren't necessarily interested in those things, you can't just come in and, and say it needs to be completely different. So you need to try and find some way of improving without destroying. And that might not even be possible. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough one. I, I like that you do kind of like you don't explain, you don't give the answers. You know, it it's a collection that kind of... Uh, leaves things a little bit open-ended it's quite an interesting one as well because you know it is very much about place it is kind of about this place uh in the midlands that a lot of people around ireland like um as you said you know might never have been there before and also just writing so intimately about your family i mean i was thinking of questions for this and i was like do some of my questions are just like how is your grandmother? How is, you know, your fa- your family and everything? When you told them about what you were going to be writing about, your your grandfather and his, um, I guess, slow descent or quick descent, maybe, into Alzheimer's, were they, d- did they back you all the way? Or were they like, oh, I don't know if I want my life to be on display like that? <laughs> I didn't give them that much information, um, to be totally honest with you. I, can't, I remember kind of telling my parents that, they asked me what uh, the book was was about, kind of at the point where I had sort of agreed agreed to kind of deal with Trump. So they were then it was kind of real, and I felt okay to talk about it. And they asked me what it was about, and I told them kind of vaguely that it was about my grandparents. And they were like, "My dad was like, you got a whole book out of that," which <laughs> is kind of exactly the sort of grounding attitude you need, I think, if you you know. Don't want to get too above yourself in what you're doing. But no, like after that, they've they've been nothing but supportive. They read the Winter Papers essay when it came out. Um, there was another piece that was in the Dublin Review and they read that. And these, you know, it was nice, I think, to be able to give them just a little section of it to kind of get them used to the idea. And then they read the, the final book just a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, they were delighted. So it was quite a relief to sort of have that part of it negotiated and and over with and everyone be happy yeah it was quite a relief and and you say that you you started to think about minor monuments when your grandfather is dying and then you uh, started writing it after he had died I think did you find it quite um cathartic catharsis is probably the wrong word I don't know if I felt necessarily better for having spent such a long time thinking about these things but I did feel a bit clearer about what I actually thought that was kind of my main aim it's not a case of feeling any sense of you know recovery or redemption or even intimacy with the people who are in it it, it it's more you know it, it takes me an awful long time to figure out what I think about anything and the book was just that process written down in a sense 
every essay is an attempt to try and think something through as much as I can. Uh, and hopefully the form of any particular essay and the structure of it would reflect the effort of trying to think something the whole way through. It doesn't necessarily feel better at the end, but at least you've done that much for yourself and for, for your own head. At least you can, you can kind of move past it, if not if nothing else, really. And and like, I mean, obviously it's a finished book now, but initially the idea of kind of um, recordings of the place, was that something... Uh, yeah, I think you mentioned in the book that, you know, you had thought about this as maybe something else, maybe an audio piece. Like you you talk about how you made recordings of your granddad kind of just on your phone so that like, you know, uh, he, he didn't quite notice that it was there. When you came to think of this idea first, did you have a book in mind or was it kind of like something else? It was more just I wanted to do something. I didn't really know what that something would be. What I, I mean, it goes back a long way. I've been, I've always kind of written about home in, in a musical context, either making stuff, writing songs or making sounds or just making work basically out of the material of, of that place. Up until, I guess, relatively recently, say the last four or five years, that was pretty much entirely musical. Um, I did a lot of, or quite a few shows, like gigs and stuff where, I would be playing field recordings mostly from from home along with like projections of like videos I'd taken at home and and photographs and all this kind of thing. So it was there anyway. I was working with it. It's a bit of a different thing obviously to start putting words on on that. It's easier when it's abstract, when it's just you know, some nice videos of a sunset on the bog and uh, some sound, the sound of some birds in the trees or whatever. That means a lot to me, but it, it, I got frustrated with it because it doesn't actually really communicate a whole lot, or at least it doesn't, like, I'm not able to make it communicate a whole lot. There are other far better musicians who absolutely could do better with the same material. But for me, it was just, I was just bumping up against my own limitations as a musician, um, which are very apparent. And so gradually, I felt I just felt a need to actually think it through, actually communicate it as much to myself as to anybody else, but to, to actually just put words on it so that I knew what I thought rather than just sort of wallowing in the ambience of it. Yeah. And then once you start to put words on things, they become much more defined and much more, much easier to communicate directly. And so, yeah, that's when the the idea of it being a book really started to take hold when I felt the need to, to actually move beyond that ambient sense of this is what the place is like into a more direct, not quite descriptive, but at least, you know, more communicative sort of version of that. Yeah. And I mean, did you find it challenging kind of like just limiting yourself to the written word? I mean, I know you're a journalist and stuff, so you're, you know, you're familiar with writing, but did you find it did you enjoy the challenge of like this, I don't know, 50,000, 60,000 piece work? Yeah, um, it helped not to think of it as a 50 or 60,000 piece work, to be honest. Yeah, like I think when I started writing and I thought I'd have to cover like a million things to get that kind of scope or that, that word count, basically, um, I thought I'd have to bring in all these different interests and, and references and and all these things that I 
I felt could possibly be be linked to what I was thinking about. And I had this, you know, I have a, a notebook that basically where everything went into and it's, you know, formative stages during the process of writing the book. When you look at some of the stuff that I thought I was going to write about, I kind of look back and I just think, how <laughs> did I reckon I was going to be able to do that? Um, but as, a, as the book went along and the words just kind of built up slowly, I realized I didn't need all that stuff, that there was enough in this quite narrow or limited or bounded set of experiences that to actually sustain a thought or a set of thoughts over the length of a book. Um, I didn't need to bring in all these very smart and impressive kind of references or whatever to make it work. Like it just, there was enough in the experiences themselves if I actually sat down and thought about it and, and gave them the time that they needed. Yeah, then I didn't need to add all this extra stuff in. I could just sit with things and sure enough, a few thousand words would would come out of it. And then you do that a few times and suddenly you kind of have half a book and then you think if I have half a book, I can probably get a full one. So yeah, it just kind of, it builds up like it accumulates. You, you've mentioned about like your sound art and visual and like writing as well. I mean, do you think of yourself as one definable artist, like writer, musician, or do you just think of, you know, I, I can flip between these easily enough. You know, I don't want to be um, put in one category or another. I guess at this stage, I'm probably am more comfortable just saying I'm a writer. You know what I mean? I think, I guess nothing is more distant than the recent past. And so I'm very aware of my limitations in other forms, whether that's music or particularly visual design, where I'm, you know, it's just... I'm not good at that at all, really. I do things because I like to see how they work. That's basically it. I don't do it with the expectation of becoming good at it or becoming uh, an expert at anything um, or professional at it. I, I kind of resist the idea of being professional at anything. I just like to see how things work. And I like, because I, I like to think about these things. I like to think about how musicians make music, how writers write, how people who make visual art do it, how filmmakers make films. And it helps me to at least attempt to do some of the things that those people are doing, even on a very small and uh, amateur level, in order to sort of understand better the the hoops that they have to jump through to make anything half decent. Like I've worked on film sets, how anybody makes a good film. It's just like an absolute mystery to me because like, the amount of just incredible work that goes into like it's it's just a miracle that anything good happens on screen books are a bit different in that like you can basically do it yourself to the point where it's actually it can be very lonely you have to shut away you shut, well i certainly find i have to shut myself away from my normal life in order to actually sit down and do this stuff properly i'm pretty easily distracted so i kind of i kind of need to get away and, and, you know, just slow things down in order to actually focus on it. Maybe if I had done that more when I was like, when I was more interested in music, I'd be better at it, but I didn't. So yeah, at this point, writing is the thing I do. I may do other things again in the future. I may not. I, I don't really worry too much about the label side of it or what people might think I'm doing. It's just whatever is most interesting to me at any given time. 
And is Alzheimer's something that you feel like you understand a little bit more having written Minor Monuments? I mean, it, it delves quite deep into that uh, disease and the way it kind of took hold of your grandfather. Did you come out of it thinking that like you, you understand it a lot more, even though it's kind of an, an, an uh, a difficult to understand disease? Yeah, definitely. I guess when I was writing about it, I didn't want to write about it from a position of complete ignorance. So I did spend a fair bit of time reading about the medical side of it, how what it is, how it works, how it's treated, how it might be treated better, what the potential causes for it might be, potential cures, all that kind of stuff. And that was, you know, that, that does on just on one very simple, obvious level, help you to understand the disease a bit better. I guess the thing that I was most focused on, because, you know, I'm not a I'm not a neuroscientist, is what it's like to live with it. And that's that's a kind of different question. Um, I wanted to kind of look at the, for want of a better word, phenomenological side of things, uh, the actual experience of what it does to people in terms of how they, they live their lives, like what is possible for them, what sort of effect it has on their social standing, their personal relationships, even their body to a certain extent. It was most interesting to me, I think, to see how Alzheimer's and, and dementia generally can, I guess, shed a light on a lot of sort of theoretical, uh, sort of philosophical questions about selfhood and about relationships and communities that, you know, it made it made a lot of what would be very theoretical and abstract, very practical and, and very relatable in an everyday sense it's obviously easy to sort of overinterpret these things but hopefully i managed to avoid doing that and just try to talk about what life is like with a disease like that rather than trying to talk too deeply about the actual medical side of the disease uh, I, I think i think it's going to be like a very comforting read for someone who who does have someone in the family who has alzheimer's or dementia i think it's going to be kind of a bam you know to to know that they're not alone sort of thing so I, I guess that that's something that you're only going to hear more about you're probably going to uh, hear people's stories about that in the coming months once people get their hands on um, minor monuments but I, I know it's coming out this week but are, are you planning the next thing already or are you sticking with the writing and already thinking about another project um yeah sort of uh <laughs> very vaguely there's there's an essay in Minor Monuments called Machine Learning, which is about uh, sort of the relationship between computers and the brain and computation and thinking, basically, whether, whether they're the same thing or whether they're different or how they might be different. And if I can find a way to do it, if I can find a, a kind of angle or a, a sort of narrative style that would make it interesting, then... That's something I would definitely like to get further into, just because I think it's outside of the context of Alzheimer's, how we think about what the brain does and how we think about what computers do or can do or should do are, are pretty or will be pretty important questions, I think, over the next few decades. And I know like that's like I don't really have any kind of clear sense of what I want to talk about with that, but. It's just been sitting in my mind at this stage for, you know, a year or more. And someday I'll have the time to actually start figuring out what I think about it. 
but because your time your time seems quite um quite full at the moment i suppose i mean you also uh founded and run fallow media and you've also just done a supply uh the supply and demand podcast with dublin inquire about the dublin housing crisis as well are these <laughs> distractions is the wrong word from writing but uh <laughs> like it, it's kind of good to kind of not get stuck into one thing and kind of have a broad spectrum uh that you can go to isn't it that, that's what it seems to me anyway um i hope it is um i tell myself that it is i guess it's, it's always the case that you know the grass is always greener when i'm busy and i'm doing a million things or it feels like i'm doing a million things i might just be procrastinating about one thing then it it, it always feels like oh i things would be so much better if I could just concentrate on this one thing. That was my, my sole concern in life was, was writing books. That feels kind of utopian in a way. But then my entire like lived experience up to this point would tell me that I'm not good at that, that I don't actually seek that out. I just think I want it. I seem to have a sort of compulsion to have a million things on the go at any given time. Part of that's just like financial reasons. Um, I do need to make a living and all that but part of it is just a purely uh intellectual uh fun thing <laughs> where i just like to get into things and and play with them and and see how they work and and think about them yeah that's a lot of fun i don't think i'd want to like ultimately i don't think i'd want to give that up for the sake of just you know writing a book every two or three years or something it's nice to be able to have the freedom to engage with anything that you find interesting in whatever feels like the right format to engage with it. I think that's ultimately what the kind of life I'm trying to build for myself, I suppose, is just freedom to to get into stuff, to take on any notion that feels compelling in some way. Like the Supply and Demand podcast, Like I, it, it's a kind of depressing listen, I think, in some ways, but it helped me to really think about what I feel is going wrong in the Dublin housing market or the Irish housing market more generally. And that was very important to me at that time because we got kicked out of our house around that time and we had to move and we were forced to move. And so we all like those two things just happened together at the same time. But obviously something was in the air for me in terms of thinking about this stuff that I just needed to, I needed a project to justify getting wrapped up in it and I think that's always kind of what I'm looking for I'm always just looking for an excuse to to really dive into something well um yeah people can listen to that I think it's on uh the Dublin Inquirer uh feed podcast feed um so listen thanks for uh chatting to me a pleasure congratulations on Minor Monuments again I think it's going to be a very like special book for people to get their hands on thank you thank you Thanks for having me on.